You're listening to the N2K Space Network. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. We hear it a lot that space is for everyone and that the industry needs people from all backgrounds and skill sets. But the ground truth is the space industry is having a hard time finding the people it needs to keep growing at its current pace, let alone where it's projected to be in the future. And it's a complex issue to be sure, and a lot of organizations are trying to make some progress here. And uh, we have some thoughts. T-minus. Today is September 13th, 2023. I'm Maria Varmazas, and this is T-Minus. What's to be done about the workforce issue in the space industry? We'll share our thoughts on that. The top headlines for today, Rocket Lab contracts with Lados to launch four haste missions. Amazon Web Services India has signed an MOU with ISRO. Russia promised North Korea cooperation on developing space capabilities. And our guest today is Stefan Recchi, Executive Director of the Global Entrepreneurship Network on entrepreneurship in space around the world. We're going to start out the top of our show today a little differently. Axios put out a top story on the space industry's ongoing struggle to attract and retain talent. And for some context on this issue, we're bringing in our executive producer, Brandon Karp, to dive a little deeper on this. Okay, so we have this report about the space industry's looming workforce problem. We hear about this a lot. It comes up on interviews here all the time. Brandon, why is this such a tough nut to crack? The big picture problem here is it's an ultimate misalignment between what people are saying they need because they're trying to solve the problem today without thinking about the issue strategically. Um, And this is totally relevant to actually our mission here at N2K. And uh, some recent conversations I've had, for example, I just had a conversation with Courtney Black at ISS National Lab and one of her coworkers, Shamron. And, you know, the the issue is, um, and Axios nailed it, but 
they're not really uh, identifying the bigger problem, which is strategy. Uh, people are saying we have not enough people without really identifying the critical roles, the critical knowledge areas, and the critical requirements that are coming in the next two, three, five, ten years, and aligning those to a workforce strategy. Okay, so what would that look like? Like, what's needed there? Where's, where's the gap? Yeah, this is a project we're working on in the background. Um, and for anyone listening, if you have thoughts or want to participate, by all means, please reach out to us at space at n2k.com. The idea is first understanding the environment, the actual workforce environment. That's mapping out the workforce, mapping out the critical knowledge areas, the critical skills, the critical uh, work functions, developing a workforce mapping as well as a skills mapping, and then tying that to critical intelligence and information requirements that feed each of those skills, as well as, and this is the really important part, the development in each of those skills. So what that looks like is industry insights, right? That's understanding the industry, talent insights, understanding the talent, and then workforce development, which is tying those two things together in an actionable, functional forward-looking program that can lead the workforce based on the industry insights and the talent insights through a development life cycle. That's exactly what we're working on and building uh, at N2K. That's something that we've built out for the cybersecurity industry and that we're working to develop right now for the space industry. So again, this is today's stuff we're working on right now in the background. Um, if anyone has inputs or wants to participate, reach out. This is what we're trying to solve. All right, so I hear a lot of discussion about sort of the the hard metrics of, you know, what needs to be developed and, and filling that gap there. But there, I feel like there's sort of a bit of an unsaid culture question as well about why is it hard for people to figure out their place in the space industry? Even though we have people saying, hey, there's space for you, there's a lot of people from the outside looking in going, I don't really understand how to make a foothold there. I don't know how on earth one would address such a complicated question. But at the same time, you mentioned cybersecurity. I remember in the cyber days, there were a lot of discussions about, hey, the cyber culture is kind of hostile to outsiders, for lack of a better term. Um, and I haven't really heard that as much from the space world yet. What are, any thoughts on that? I, I think it is um, similar, uh, right? Whenever you have an industry of highly technical and skilled people, they tend to move in that barrier-defining language type environment, barrier-defining actions and activities, especially militarized, um, yep. and then a non-inclusive type uh, environment, right? The insiders are on the inside. The outsiders are most definitely on the outside. That's solved, I think, starting with just shining light on the challenges and then creating a dialogue um, around those challenges. I think that dialogue typically can get elevated in industry interest groups, so highly focused uh, interest groups, which I haven't seen so many in the aerospace industry. By that, I mean there are policy-focused organizations, small nonprofits focused on policy. There are a few interest groups, um, the makings of an early marketing society in the space industry, the makings of some diversity-focused organizations, but they're very nascent. And that's where those conversations need to start. And that's where the culture really begins to change is a focus at every industry event, bringing in those organizations, bringing in those focused um, uh, discussions around panels, having panel discussions that aren't just about the launch services and the technology, but are actually around community and culture within the industry. Uh, and that moves the industry forward. Now, I think it's starting to happen. We see it with Space Workforce 2030. It is very nascent, but it is beginning. I think this is yeah. the cusp um, and adding more emphasis to it by focusing on the strategic workforce focus, the strategic workforce development, strategic workforce intelligence. That's what we're trying to drive and that's what we're advocating for. 
Yeah, and it's encouraging that uh, a lot of people are open to that, which is probably the most important part. If nobody's open to it, then it's never going to go anywhere. So, Right, stake in the sand, that's our proposed solution. This is what we're working on in the cybersecurity industry. We've been doing it for years with uh, quite a bit of success, and this is why we are entering the space market. And now let's do a little quick roundup of the rest of the headlines for today's intelligence briefing. Rocket Lab has signed a contract with Latos to launch four HASTE missions. HASTE is the company's hypersonic accelerator suborbital test electron vehicle. Rocket Lab was selected by Latos under the Mach-TB project, which was awarded by Naval Surface Warfare Center Crane on behalf of the U.S. Department of Defense Test Resource Management Center. The missions are scheduled for 2024 and 2025 from Rocket Lab's facility at the Mid-Atlantic Regional Spaceport. SpaceX has announced that it is no longer subsidizing the cost of its antennas that it sells with its satellite Starlink broadband services. The company's been able to reduce the cost per antenna as demand for production has risen over the last few years. And speaking of Starlink, they're partnering with SES to provide a new communication solution for the cruise line industry. The companies are offering services that integrate Starlink's low-Earth orbit with SES's medium-Earth orbit satellite services. The new partnership aims to deliver bandwidth capacity of up to 3 gigabits per ship. Amazon Web Services India has signed a strategic memorandum of understanding with the Indian Space Research Organization, or ISRO, and the Indian National Space Promotion and Authorization Center to support space tech innovations through cloud computing. AWS says the collaboration will give space startups, research institutes, and students access to advanced cloud technologies that accelerate the development of new solutions in the space sector. Russian President Vladimir Putin hosted North Korean leader Kim Jong-un at the Vostochny Cosmodrome and promised military and space cooperation between the two nations. In a video released by the Kremlin, Russian President Putin was quoted as saying, the leader of North Korea shows great interest in space, in rocketry, and they're trying to develop space. We'll show our new objects. We'll talk about all the issues without haste. There is time. LMO and in-space missions have partnered to explore the use of small satellite platforms for space-based space domain awareness. The partnership is part of LMO's ARIA program, which stands for Autonomous Recognition of Foreign Assets. BAE Systems Subsidiary in-Space Missions plans to study the mission scope of a space-based space domain awareness demonstrator small satellite with a software stack on the ground to demonstrate end-user compatibility. Dragonfly Aerospace and Neurospace have announced a strategic partnership to explore Neurospace's space traffic management platform for space sustainability. Dragonfly Aerospace plans to use Neurospace's space traffic management platform for its EOS Sat1 satellite for conjunction analysis and receiving maneuver suggestions. EOS Sat1 is the world's first agriculture-focused satellite and the first in a seven-satellite constellation, providing the agriculture and forestry industries with high-quality data and analysis. And that concludes our briefing for today. We've included a lot more stories, along with links to further reading in our selected reading section of our show notes. You'll find opinion pieces on the ISS and Blue Origin, 
and announcements from Earth observation platforms SkyFi and Hawkeye360. They're all at space.n2k.com. Just click on this episode. Hey, T-Minus crew, if you find this podcast useful, and we certainly hope you do, please do us a favor and share a five-star rating and a short review in your favorite podcast app. It'll help other space professionals like you to find the show and join the T-Minus crew. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Our guest today is Stefan Recchi, who is the executive director at the Global Entrepreneurship Network speaking to us today on entrepreneurship in space around the world. I asked Stefan to start our conversation by telling us more about Jen, G-E-N, Jen, and how he developed the idea of astropreneurship. The Global Entrepreneurship Network is an amazing organization. It's a nonprofit based in Washington, D.C., and their charter is to map out all the entrepreneurial ecosystems on Earth or around the world. We have uh, over 200 countries that we've mapped out the ecosystems and have managing directors or uh, folks as part of Gen uh, working towards making entrepreneurship as successful as possible. About seven years ago, I went to what's called the Global Entrepreneurship Congress, which was an amazing gathering. It was like the United Nations for entrepreneurship. And this one happened to take place in Johannesburg. Um, there's so many cool things going on. I've never been to uh, South Africa and just meeting the ecosystem members from just Africa alone. Uh, it was just uh, overwhelming. I went as part of a U.S. delegation and relatively I was thinking, well, you know, being part of a U.S. delegation for entrepreneurship is boring compared to something creative like putting together a network for space entrepreneurship. So came up with uh, the idea of leveraging the word astropreneurship, meaning entrepreneurs in space. And one of the things Jen was really specific about is they did not want to have like a Jen FinTech or Jen MedTech or Jen uh, e-commerce. So I worked with the management team at Jen to look at space as a location to do business. Just like we have these 200 country members of the Global Entrepreneurship Network, I was able to uh, create the Global Entrepreneurship Network for space. And it really, truly leverages the global aspect of entrepreneurship, because if you look at space, you're actually, if you do business in space, chances are, unless you're a geostationary satellite provider and you're only above a certain country, you're going to be doing business globally. So 
there's a large ecosystem through Gen for Gen Space. So what does that look like? If I was an entrepreneur who was interested in starting my own business in space, how would I approach Gen? Like, what would be the involvement be? So the, the cool part about it is, is if you look at entrepreneurship, it requires some really common, uh, I'll call them stakeholders in the ecosystem. First, you need entrepreneurs, right? The, the folks with the ideas and the businesses behind the ideas. Then ultimately, you need some way of funding those businesses. So either it's the private world, so it could be angels, venture capitalists, private equity folks, or you can also look at government or private-public partnerships where you look for government agencies to help do some grants. And then the other part of that is the future entrepreneurs. So where does this future workforce come from? It's from typically from academia. So the, the big stakeholders within GenSpace are the entrepreneurs, the investors, the government agencies, and also the academic institutions. For businesses, any business trying to get started in space, there are a lot of local, uh, national regulatory hurdles. Is that something that GenSpace helps people navigate through, or is that something like, what? what's the involvement there? The other thing about GenSpace is, is we're... We're a, a collaborative environment so that we really don't, we don't have employees. So we have advisors to GenSpace. So I'm in the executive director in, in, a, in a volunteer role. Our advisors are truly global. So we have advisors in every continent and we're trying to do in every country uh, that has a leaning towards space. So yes, we, we can provide that guidance. So from a, from a higher level, uh, GenSpace doesn't. But from an individual country by country basis, we can make those connections. So we're really trying to educate, inform anyone interested in doing business in space that it really is no different than starting a business, except that obviously it, it's challenging to get the space, but the costs of space are getting reduced, getting access to space, getting to and from the space, and the awareness is there. So I think what's been happening with the, the latest kind of billionaire space race is the awareness is there. SpaceX has launched, I think, over 62 times just this year. So it's it's getting to be almost as crazy as saying flights from an airport. And that's another thing as GenSpace is part of the Global Spaceport Alliance. And we're working with the spaceports, which is the up-and-coming access to space, similar to what airports did for aviation. So so it's pretty pretty neat because... We're trying to, um, obviously, ITAR and different government and security regulations don't allow for uh, sharing secrets or sharing things that can be used in a military basis or defense basis. But we're trying to stay away from that. We're talking about what are the basic principles of entrepreneurship? How can you apply them to space? And how can you do better? And how, what are the lessons learned? Those kind of things. With business in space, businesses trying to work in space, there are some sort of standard business principles that apply, but there are also some unique pitfalls or, or um, I guess, trappings of starting a business that's going to be dealing with space. Could you maybe walk me through some of what you've seen along those lines? Well, historically, anything touching space has always been super, super high tech, right? So it's been deep tech, we'll call it. That's what it's called, right? Deep tech. So we look for opportunities to, to help promote people to think, you don't have to have just a deep tech company or product line, right? So you don't have to be, for lack of a better word, you don't no longer have to be a rocket scientist to do business in space, right? So you have you you, you can put together so many businesses in space that leverage existing data from space and those kind of things. So 
So the idea behind what's happened is, uh, as I mentioned, the cost of accessing space is, is, is getting lower, but the pieces and parts are already there. So maybe it's making something better. You no longer have to build the whole rocket, for example. You can just come up with some cool control system or some cool propulsion system and plug it into an existing rocket. There is so much opportunity for small innovation to take place. So that means you don't have to be crazily funded to do business in space anymore. The big difference is we promote businesses and not just projects or ideas, right? So, so you have to, the other piece of this is uh, you have to prove that you can find customers. You can actually charge money for what you're doing, right? So that's a new thing, right? So in the past, people were just developing stuff for space and not worrying about whether there's going to be some commercial value to this or some type of return. Well, now if you introduce investors into it and can prove that there's a commercial value and there's going to be some return on their investment, that's going to make this really flourish. So are there areas of uh, opportunity that are particularly exciting or intriguing to you? I mean, launch is always very sexy, but very capital intensive. We sort of talked about that a little bit. Outside of all that, <laughs> what, what, what interests you and where, where do you see a lot of uh, opportunity? I, I just love um, the fact that Earth observation data is becoming either really cheap or free. And there's so much data that's going on. And the other fun part is now you can look at doing business in space that's making an impact, right? So actually, um, next week, we're going to be presenting to uh, part of the UN General Assembly talking about putting together an 18th sustainable development goal for the United Nations to focus on space. We're thinking now you can attract people that were looking at how can I make an impact? And you can say, well, you can start a business, you can, you can take data from space. And I've been involved in uh, some Earth observation challenges, namely in Africa, where I've mentored companies that have put together uh, businesses because they put software together to analyze data from space to make your farming more successful or to, or to prevent poaching and those kind of things. So there's some really neat directions now you can take as an entrepreneur. You no longer, and you mentioned launch, I mean, like 200 launch companies or something like that. There's a big number of launch companies. It's harder to differentiate on launch, but you can start these businesses and, and, and really give developing nations or folks that don't have space agencies or don't even have thought that they can have access to space. You can start educating them that they can create companies to do business in space. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Welcome back. Calling all data viz geeks in Europe, your planet needs you. 
ESA is looking for help from creative minds who know how to parse data to help them take the reams and reams and reams of climate data from climate satellites and turn that information into easy-to-understand, impactful data visualizations, like the kind of infographics that are easily understood and shared by the general public, very social media-friendly. These graphics are especially needed to help combat misinformation and disinformation that runs rampant on social media, as we're probably all very well aware, way faster than information that is actual and factual. And data visualizations are especially powerful in showing patterns and changing trends in a way that everyone can understand. So this call for help is in the form of a competition called Little Pictures of Climate, and entrants have until November 15th to get their submission in. Entrants have a lot of data sets at their disposal to choose from. Any climate data set from ESA, UMETSAT, and ECMWF are fair game for this contest. All entries will be evaluated for their clarity of message, design aesthetic, novelty, and accessibility. And the winner will have their work on display at the 2023 UN Climate Change Conference, or COP28, which is happening in Dubai late November through early December this year, as well as an expenses-paid visit to the ESA DataViz Suite in Frascati, Italy. And if you're looking for inspiration or just want to see and share the gorgeous data-driven little pictures that ESA Climate Office has already put online, we've got a link in the show notes for you. Definitely take the time and check it out. That's it for T-Minus for September 13th, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in the show notes. Your feedback ensures that we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in the rapidly changing space industry. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karpf. Our chief intelligence officer is Eric Tillman. And I'm Maria Varmazis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Sixth